Uh, if you would, open your Bibles to Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Uh, every time uh, Shane or the elders ask me to, to come up here and teach, which is very rarely, um, and that is a good discernment on their behalf, I'm just kidding, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's always, it's, it's hard to, to figure out what to, to speak about. Um, you know, when I, we do college group, we do high school group, we're, we're always working through a letter or a book of the Bible, and you just kind of know where to go, and, and, and God develops, you know, through his word and your study, what we're going to talk about, but, but then it comes to this, and I mean, this is just out of the blue. You pop in, you, we get a, a, a message from the Word of God, and then and we're out. And there's always that, that tension, that pull of wanting to explain all the context, give you historical background on the letter we're reading, what's going on, why Paul's, why Paul's writing this. And, but you just don't have time for all that. I mean, that would be the whole sermon. Even what I'm doing right now is taken away from the sermon, you know. So, uh, so tonight we are jumping right in the middle of a letter. Um, but the reason we're going here is uh, this is something that we have been studying in, uh, in the high school group uh, and in the college group. And uh, this is definitely, uh, in the midst of all that, uh, one of the things the Lord has just been pressing more and more and more on my heart. And I actually looked back this afternoon, or I mean, I'm sorry, yesterday, at the last time I was able to, to speak uh, up here. And um, the last thing I spoke about was the purpose of the church. And it's funny because God, in his providence right now, is taking us through Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, and the respective groups. And uh, we have been studying the church in depth, what the church is, how God formed the church, how the church came into existence, and this mystery of the church that God revealed through the apostles and the prophets and through his son Jesus Christ that you and I are experiencing right now in 2015. And uh, the more I study the church and the purpose of the church and, and what we are as part of the body of Christ and the temple of the Lord and um, a light to this world, it's just uh, I just thought it was, it was fitting to, to dive into some of that and talk about uh, why God makes us, what he creates us for as Christians, and what our purpose is as Christians being a part of this church. So I almost feel like it's a part two of that last sermon in January that you've totally forgotten about. But we're going to look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tonight. And, and the title is that we are created for good works. Created for good works. And like I said, we're jumping right into the middle of a letter. And for sake of time, I am going to give you some context, but we'll move through it quick. If you were to open up Ephesians and look in chapter 1 of Ephesians, you just see this outburst of praise that Paul is exalting the grace of God that God has lavished upon us. Uh, and, and he sh- it shows that we are blessed with so many gifts by God's grace if we are children of God. Paul in Ephesians 1 says that we are uh, by his grace, that we are chosen, that we are made holy and blameless, that we are predestined to adoption as children of God. And all of this is through Jesus Christ according to the kindness of God's will. By his grace, we are redeemed and we are released from our bondage and sin. We are forgiven of our sins. By God's grace, we are given wisdom and insight and understanding to be able to know the mind and the will of God and to be able to act in accordance with his plans and his purposes. We see that by grace, uh, uh, for his purposes and according to his will, that we are predestined to listen and to believe in his gospel. That Jesus is the Christ, the promised seed, the redeemer of all creation, and all of this is for his glory. And that is given to us by grace. By grace, we're given his Holy Spirit to bind us and to remind us of the glorious inheritance we have in Jesus Christ. And by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
We are enlightened to his truth and dwelt with his spirit, empowered by his power to know his purposes and to understand his mind, to obey his commandments and accomplish his will on this earth through the body of Christ, which is the church. All of this by God's grace through faith. In chapter 2, we, we see Paul then take us back, uh, take, talking to the Ephesian believers and, and respectively to us if we are Christians, for what we were prior to God's grace or before this grace was bestowed upon us, if you want to say it that way. And he reminds the Ephesians of, of man's natural condition, that, that on our own, in our own natural state, that we are dead in our sin, that we're united with Satan, that we're actively and happily uh, part of Satan's world system which strives in enmity against God and his plans, that we are governed and controlled uh, by our pride and our selfishness, and we are under the wrath of God, which will be poured out on sin. That's naturally where we are. But God, by his great mercy and his rich love, overabounding in grace, has saved us, um, uh, all of us, uh, uh, his children, from their natural position in peril, He's made us alive. He's raised us up. He has seated us with Jesus Christ. And he makes us into a new creation for the purpose of showing his grace to all of creation and for the purpose of accomplishing his good work and will in his creation. And there was a lot in there. And there was a lot that we just, just drove through so fast that, that exalts the grace of God and this even the ability for us to have faith in him and to believe in him and then what he's accomplishing through his children who do have faith by his grace. And the thing that you see running through that entire uh, message all the way up to where we get tonight is this vein that all of this is only possible in Christ, in him, in Jesus Christ, in the beloved, through Christ, over and over and over and over. Apart from what Jesus Christ is Apart from what he did and apart from what he will accomplish, all of this is absolutely impossible. And we cannot have a relationship with God. We cannot accomplish his works. We can't understand his mind or his will. In fact, we can't even worship him or strive after him. But by God's grace, through Jesus Christ, we can be saved and redeemed and equipped and empowered with the Spirit of God to go out and to accomplish God's good will on this earth. And that leads us to what we're going to read tonight. Tonight we will look at the means and the purpose of our existence as Christians, being new creatures that are created in Christ Jesus. Uh, and, and this is good to look at meaning and purpose. I said this last time as the church in general, because, I, I mean, at least in my mind, it's, it's getting down to that, that root reason. Like, why am I here? What is our purpose as a college ministry? What is our purpose as a youth group? What is my purpose as a father? What is my purpose as a husband? And knowing that foundation of your role and your purpose as a believer in Jesus Christ helps you to know how to accomplish his will and his work in whatever role and whatever relationship he has placed you in in this life. And so it's always good to go back to the root. It's always good to find that purpose and then to, to, to get rid of the excess, get rid of all the things that we're uh, engaging in that encumber us from doing that purpose and focus on why we're here and what we are to do. So tonight we're focusing on that. We're going to strive for purpose so that we don't strive purposeless, uh, purposelessly. <laughs> Aimlessly, that's better. <laughs> so Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The first thing we're going to look at in these verses is the explanation of salvation. In other words, how are we saved? The explanation of salvation, how are we saved? Paul begins in verse 8 by saying it's, uh, by grace we have been saved through faith. Uh, the first thing we we'll look at is it is the gift of God that any of us, anyone in here, is saved or can be saved. It is always the gift of God. The word grace, it means unmerited, undeserved favor. It's always a generously, freely given gift. It's, nothing, it's, it's never something that you earn. It's never something that you deserve. It is always a free gift. Paul says it over and over in the New Testament, talking about the grace gift given to us by God. And, and we are grace given more than just salvation. There's many things that are attributed to God's gift of grace. Anything from our role as the church to salvation to suffering and even death. There's a lot of things that are grace given to Christians. And it, when we focus our minds on the gifts that God gives us and realize the gift that has been bestowed upon us, it reminds us, one, of our own inability to earn it or to receive it, and two, of his greatness and his love and his generosity and his mercy for giving us things that we don't deserve. In Ephesians 4, 7, Paul says, But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. God knows exactly what we need and has measured out everything that we need to accomplish his will and his purposes and his plan in our life. And he always empowers us and places us in that place to do his purpose and his will. In Romans 3.24, Paul says that we are justified as a gift. That's how we're justified. By his grace, through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. So our predestination, our adoption, our redemption, all these things that we talk about when we talk about salvation... These are all gifts given to us by God's grace. And all of this was freely given, never earned, never merited. We cannot earn these things. And all of this was only possible through Jesus Christ and in Christ Jesus. Apart from, again, his sacrifice on the cross, uh, we, we would not even be able to partake of salvation. And because of what he accomplished, God lavishes his lavish grace upon us and as a result, we are released from the slavery of sin. We are adopted into his family. And this was his set plan before creation. Again, not because he looks down through the corridors of time and finds out who's going to repent, who's going to believe, and who's going to go to church, and who's going to pray some prayer, but because of God's good grace, his purposes, his will, his intentions that he planned before the foundation of the world, by his grace we are saved. And it is a free gift of God bestowed upon us. God's grace is the cause, the source, and the grounds for every person's salvation. No believer ever stands before God and can claim anything other than, I don't deserve this, and by your grace I was given this. But it's not only our salvation, as I said earlier, just a little bit. It's also our work. Um, our work to follow Christ and to do the will of God is, again, bestowed, given to us as a grace gift. Paul says in Ephesians 3, 7 through 8, I was made a minister. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. That's why Paul was an apostle of God, apostle of Christ. Because God gave him that position. It was a gift of grace given to him by God. He says, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So Paul recognized that his own position as the Apostle Paul was a grace gift 
bestowed upon him by Jesus Christ to go to the Gentiles, to go to the nations, and to tell them of this wonderful gift of God's grace that God freely gave to this world through his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins. And Paul, Paul is actually writing this letter to the Ephesians in prison for this very grace gift of God. God blessed him with this grace gift to call Gentiles to salvation and to, to teach that both Gentiles and Jews are now being grafted into one body of believers called the church. And in doing so, Paul was thrown into prison by unbelieving Jews that did not want to hear that Gentiles were being saved, that Gentiles were being grafted into the promises of God. And Paul was now in prison in Rome because he appealed to Caesar whether, rather than being, go back to the Sanhedrin and, and stand trial before the Jews. And uh, so anyway, but that's a, another story for another night that we're about to talk about in the youth group. So he says, by God's grace, uh, we are given our salvation. By God's grace, we are given our, our, our purpose and our, uh, and our um, you know, the purpose of being the church. But he says, by God's grace, you have been saved. Now we're here to, to be saved. It, mean, it means to be rescued from danger, to be delivered, uh, to be made safe. Um, I, I give this illustration. I've, I've talked about this at school before because I remember growing up, uh, hearing uh, God's grace or salvation was kind of explained like this. It's like you're out in the middle of the ocean and you're flailing, you know, flailing around trying to, to, to stay afloat, you know, and, and some guy comes by in a boat and there's Jesus and he throws you a life preserver and you just got to reach out and grab it and he'll bring you in and he will save you, you know? And, and it's not necessarily a, a, the worst illustration, but if you look at the Bible, what we actually are prior to Christ I always tell the kids at school, it's more like you're at the bottom of the ocean, and you've been down there for about 300 years, and, and, and your only bones. And on top of that, you're actually encased in this concrete coffin of sin, and, 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 and that's, about, that's your predicament, all right? So you're sitting at the bottom of the ocean, you've been dead for hundreds of years, and you're encased in this coffin of concrete, all right? And, and God, by his great mercy, or Christ, jumps off the boat swims all the way down to the bottom, gets out his, his uh, sledgehammer of <laughs> the circumcision of sin, <laughs> and just <laughs> cuts away all of that sin, you know, and, 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 and he breaks it all off, and then breathes life into your bones, and, and gives you life, and then carries you up to the boat, and places there, and seats you next to him. That would be a better description of the work of God if you're looking for an illustration. But, <laughs> uh, but anyway, but, but that's this, this rescuing from danger. You're not just out there trying, looking for a life preserver. You got no hope. I mean, Paul says it in Ephesians 2. We are hopeless and, and, and godless in this world. If anything, it says that we're enemies of God, fighting against him. We're happy in our sin. Don't seek after him. Don't desire him and don't want him. And all that being said, and, and, and it's impossible for us to even get to him because of our sin. So he cuts the sin away, he draws us to himself, he calls out to us, he gives us the faith to believe, and we believe in him, and he rescues us um, through his grace. That, that's a picture of salvation. So by God's grace, we have been saved, or he says, you have been saved. And, and, and if you think the illustration is outlandish, I mean, the disciples got it. Salvation is impossible apart from the grace of God, and the disciples clearly understood this when Jesus spoke about it when he was on earth. When God walked the earth as a man, his closest disciples understood that this is impossible. In Matthew 19, 25 and 26, after Jesus talks to the rich young ruler and the disciples hear what it, how hard it is to be saved, the disciples, it says the disciples heard this, and they were very astonished. And they said to him, then who can be saved? If it's this hard, who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, 
All right? He says, with people, this is impossible. There's the answer. How can we be saved? Well, it's impossible. What can I do to earn God? You can't. I mean, how can I get to heaven? You can't. It is impossible. But, he says, with God, all things are possible. And that's what we have to go back to. Apart from God's grace, you cannot be saved. No prayer, no signing of a card, no amount of confession, no walking the aisle, no going to summer camp and throwing your log into the fire, no amount of going to church, nothing you can do will ever save you, will ever get away the sin. You can't get that. You can't earn that. You're separated, and you're hopeless, helpless without God in this world. But by God's grace, all things are possible, including our salvation. So Paul says, by grace, we have been saved. Now, all that being said... The next question that a lot of people say, well, if, you know, if, if salvation is impossible, it's only by God's grace that we can be saved, then, then how do we know if we got God's grace? Or do we just sit back and wait for God's grace? This is where you get into a lot of the whole uh, um, predestination versus free will arguments. People say, no, I chose God. I know God chose you. And, you know, in the end, it's both. It's both because the next words say it. He says, by God's grace, you have been saved through faith. Through faith. This is the responsibility of man. First we have the gift of God. By grace he saves us. Then you have the responsibility of man. Through faith we are saved. Faith means to believe. It means to, to completely trust. To have reliance upon. Alright? And, and, and this is the subjective means by which we are saved. This is the responsibility or the calling that we have. By God's grace we are saved. But we have the responsibility and the calling to have faith. To trust. To rely. To have confidence Upon the work of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So believing in what his word says and what his son accomplished on the cross that day, we are called to believe. To believe and to have faith, to repent of our sins and to follow him. And this is the gift of God and the responsibility of man working together for what we call salvation from sin. It's both. In Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, we see Paul working this out again. Actually, the whole book of Ephesians is this balance between God doing all of this and you uh, accomplishing his will. God empowering, but you still being faithful to do it. God saving, but you having the faith to believe. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, Paul, again, has this, this, uh, this um, marriage between faith and grace. And he says this. He says, we have obtained an inheritance. God has given us an inheritance. And this is going back, this is right in the middle of all that grace stuff we talked about. We've obtained an inheritance by God's grace. He says, having been predestined according to his purpose. Not anything to do with you. Before you even existed, before the world began, God foreordained and predestined according to his will, his mind, his purpose, that you, if you are a child of God, would receive an eternal inheritance that he is waiting to bestow upon you. All right? But then look where he goes. He says, his purpose who works all things out after the counsel of his will, so this was his plan, to the end that we, who were the first to hope, all right, so there's where we come in. We have this hope in this inheritance, this hope in the promises of God. The, uh, the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, in Christ, you also, after listening, all right? So there's, again, your active role, listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, so having heard it, having also believed, so there you are again, responding, listening, you're hoping, listening, believing, uh, you were sealed in him. So now the ball's out of your court again. God seals you with the Holy Spirit of promise, uh, who is given, grace-given, as a pledge of our inheritance. Any Christian having the Spirit of God within them, not only does the Spirit of God enable them to do God's will, to worship Him, to understand His mind and His word, but it's a pledge of our inheritance, a down payment. It's a taste of what's to come. What we experience now 
partially, spiritually, we will know fully, tangibly, physically and spiritually for all eternity when Christ returns and the new covenant is fulfilled completely. All right? But right now, uh, the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So you got God working, God working, God working, and Samus right in the middle is you hoping, listening, and believing, and then God working, and God working, and God working again. So our salvation is in his hands by his grace. Yet at the same time, we still have this call or this responsibility to have faith. Hebrews 11 explains faith very well. Hebrews 11 is an in-depth look into faith. It's kind of the faith chapter of the Bible. And uh, um, in, in Hebrews 11, it describes faith. <clears throat> it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Um, I always kind of give this illustration. You know, when we have faith in something, we believe it, and it causes us to act on that belief. That's the difference between true faith and just words. Um, uh, think about, like, the weather report. You know, you can get, get on your iPhone, look up weather.com, and you can find out that it's going to rain about 4 o'clock. Now, if you read that, listen to that, and you have faith in that, even if the sun is out at 2 o'clock, you're going to take your umbrella with you if you're going outside to walk around, right? Because the weather said, and you have faith. The faith makes you act on that, and you take your umbrella with you. If you don't have faith in the weather channel, you're going to look at the sun, you're going to look at the weather channel, and be like, whatever, and you're going to walk out the door without the umbrella because you don't believe. You don't have faith. But you, you do have faith that you're more right than that. So whatever you believe, whatever you have faith in, that will be proven by your actions. And uh, Hebrews 11 is just a, a, a very good chapter in the Bible that shows faith and what faith produces in people. Um, if you look at Hebrews 11, the whole thing basically lists different men of faith throughout the history of time. Uh, Pre-Israelite, during the time of the Israelites, and, and uh, all the way up to you know, basically the New Testament. But it lists men of faith. And then it shows the proofs of their faith. And what you'll notice if you read Hebrews 11, these people worked. They thought they spoke, they lived as if the promises of God were true. These weren't just guys sitting around writing books about what God said. These are people that lived their lives in accordance with the thing that they had faith in. And that is what was the evidence of their faith. And that's why they were called men of faith. There's tangible substance behind the thoughts and the belief that prove they were men of faith. They changed their lives uh, to live in obedience with God's word. In fact, Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16 says that all of these listed died in faith. Without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, they, they died in their faith. So they never even experienced the things they believed that God would do. But they lived their life in accordance to his word and his truth, knowing that God would do it even if they didn't experience it in this life. That was the proof of their faith. That was the outworking of their faith. They confessed that they were strangers on this earth, exiles on this earth. They sought a country, not their own. They thought on and desired a better country, a heavenly one, it says. And therefore, God has prepared a city for them. These men that were listed in Hebrews 11 thought, acted, worked, talked about everything in their life reflected faith in the word of God, the word that they had up to that point. In Hebrews eleven thirty three to 38, it continues talking about what their faith produced in them. And in fact, it was by faith that these people accomplished amazing things, experienced impossible things, and suffered in horrendous ways. It ends by saying they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with a sword, they went about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, and this is the best part, men of whom the world was not worthy. That was their faith played out in their life. And God said they weren't even worthy to be counted 
citizens of this world because they were citizens of his kingdom. And they lived their whole life in faith, looking for that, for that kingdom, those promises that God had, had sworn. So, all this to be said, we are not automatically saved because Jesus died, but we must repent, we must believe, and that belief will cause us to follow. This is salvation by God's grace through faith. If you have faith in the gift of God's grace and the work that he has accomplished through the death, resurrection, and exaltation of his son, Jesus Christ, and if you believe that Jesus will return to judge and rule forever, that faith will be proven by your distinct and unique way of living. Faith is always proven by works. Faith is always played out and we see fruit, fruit of the spirit, we call it. If we have faith, we will not cherish the things of this world. We will not strive for meaningless, useless, and worthless things, just like Hebrews 11 says. We will discipline ourselves for godliness. We will act on the conviction instilled in our conscience by the living word of God as we read his word. And we will change, and we will continue to change, becoming completely distinct and different than those of this world. This is the path of all of his children. And all of his children who live by faith will exemplify this in some manner, in some form. And Paul says all of this, all of this, being saved by grace through faith, he says um, that this is not of ourselves or yourselves. He says it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Just a real quick thing here. This is, this is speaking of, of New Covenant stuff. Even our salvation by God's grace through faith is only possible by what God does in us. In Ezekiel 36, 27, speaking to the new covenant promises, the thing that was ratified at the cross with Jesus Christ, he says, I will put my spirit within you, talking to the Israelites and the, um, and the people of Judah, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. He is going to do something to them. Put his spirit within them and make them, cause them to be able to obey them. Or obey him. And he says, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Even the faith we have, the faith, the ability to believe in God, to understand and obey his word, that is a grace gift given to us by God so that no one may boast. It is all a gift of God. Praise God. So that's an explanation of salvation. Now, if you are a child of God, if you are his, if by God's grace you do have faith and you know Jesus Christ is Lord and you are following him, then the next thing we're going to look at is the expectation. The expectation of salvation. In other words, why are we saved? Why are we saved? What is the purpose of the Christian on this earth, right now, in this life? I tell my kids all the time, the most awesome gift that any Christian could ever be given by God's hand, in a sense. I mean, you know, God's will is perfect. He knows it's all good. But in a sense, and from my point of view as a human, not understanding the, the full purpose of God in, in everybody's life, it seems like the most awesome gift that if the moment that you believed and God's spirit entered into you, when you were made alive, you were raised with him, you were exalted with him, you would just fall over dead of a heart attack. That would be amazing, right? I mean, because then you would not suffer. You would not have the temptation. You would not have that struggle with sin. You would not have persecution pressing down upon you for the next 50, 60, 70 years. You would, con you would be his. You would know him fully. You would be face to face with your Savior, your Lord Jesus Christ. What a grace gift, but we're all still here, so we didn't get that gift. So, <laughs> so why are we still here if we are Christians? Why are we saved, and why does God leave us on this earth? He's, it's very, he's very purposeful in everything he does, and he explains in verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This is why you are alive, if you're a child of God. If you're sitting here right now and you're not his, repent and believe. That's why you're alive. God is patient. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. If you are his, then we are here and created for good works. Good works that he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in him. The first thing we're going to look at is that we are created for good works. Can't say it any better than that. It says we are his workmanship. This means his craftsmanship. Uh, his created creation is basically what it says. That, that, that we are God's creation and he created us in Christ Jesus. Again, go back and read Ephesians. Everything's in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Our creation as God's workmanship is in Christ Jesus. In other words, he works us into vessels for his use. He works us into vessels for his use. Uh, we, we don't work our way to him, but he does his work in us, and then he puts us where his work needs to be accomplished. And then we accomplish his work on this earth. We are his creation that God created in Christ for his purposes. The word created, is, it means to make or create something that has not existed before. What, was, what, what, what is there now through his hand was not there before. And now he has created it, and he's going to purposefully use it to continue uh, accomplishing his will. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. In Ephesians 4.24, he says, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And then Colossians 3.10, Paul says, you have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I mean, all of those things you see God creating, and he's creating us into the image of Jesus Christ. And that is what he is doing in all of his creations. Uh, it is in Christ Jesus, only in him, through him, by him, are we, cre- uh, are we created new. And so the question then is, why are we created in Christ? And he says, for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So the purpose of our goal and the goal of our creation by God is good works. But then the next question would be, then what are the good works? What, what is a good work and what are these good works that God has crafted us for and desires for us to do and, in fact, accomplishes through us? And basically, I mean, to, the, the, the easy way to go about saying it is we are created for God's work. We are created for God's work on this earth. If you start studying what the church is and what God accomplishes through each individual member of his church and the church as a whole, we are on this work to do the work of God, the work of finding his sheep, to bringing them into his fold, finding his children, bringing them into his family, and then edifying, equipping each of us so that we go out and accomplish the work that he is doing through his church. Now, that's the whole answer, but let's look a little deeper into that. What are good works? Good works are accomplishing the goodwill of God. In Romans eight twenty eight, it says that, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We are created to do God's good work on this earth, to save his children, to transform them into his image, and to make all things right and new. Ephesians four eleven through 12 says it this way. He says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And here's the purpose for these people that he called and put in this position. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. That's a real quick way of, of kind of summing up the, 
the, the purpose of the church. Uh, we, uh, we are to, to teach the word of God to one another, as, as in a general sense here, uh, not speaking of the, the, the positions of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, but we are to equip the saints for the work of service. When you speak the word of God to other believers, you will edify, you will equip, you will complete, you will admonish, you will do these things that will sanctify the church of God. Um, and and this, this equipping, this completing, is for the work of service. So the more that we are edified, the more we become into the image of Christ, the more Christ-like we become, the more we will accomplish his work of service on this earth, which is bring his children into his family. Um, and to the building up of the body of Christ. The building up of not only people coming into the body of Christ, but the building up of the body of Christ internally as we continue to edify and equip one another. And all these things that we are created for, all these things that we're on this earth to accomplish, were prepared beforehand, Paul says. In other words, they were made ready and prepared in advance. These things were, were, were prepared not because of who we are, not because of, of uh, our own talents, our own accomplishments, our own personalities, but because of God's good will and his plan, his standard, his purposes that were set before the creation of all things. And so we are called to, to walk in his good works. To walk just means to, uh, to live, to behave continually. This is our conduct. This is what we are. This is what we do uh, continuously. In Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Paul says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. You work it out, but it's God is who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, this is what God is always doing. Like we said in Romans, he's always working all things out for the good of those who love him. Here, he's working all things out for his good pleasure. He always accomplishes his will and his plan. I heard someone say one time, and I've repeated it so many times, that he, he even takes evil. He takes the, the world system, the things that Satan does, and he bends evil still to accomplish his will. No matter how big and powerful and mighty the enemy is, no matter how intricately woven this world system is that out there to deceive and distract and to do all these things to distort and keep people from God, God is going to accomplish his will no matter what. And his will is always accomplished. And he does this through the church. He doesn't have to, right? I mean, God could easily, easily if he wanted to, just take all of his children out of the world system and bring them home to heaven. He doesn't need us, but he uses us. And then he rewards us for our faithfulness as he uses us. Have you thought about that? He puts his spirit within you. And allows you to understand his word. And then he takes you and he changes you. And then he sends you out to someone else. And you speak his word to them. And they hear his word and believe because God is doing that work in them already. And through your faithfulness of declaring his word to them, they are saved. You save them. Yet at the same time, you had nothing to do with that. But your faithfulness caused that person to be saved, and God's grace saved that person. And that person's faith saved that person. And God used you to do that. And then God blesses you for your faithfulness in accomplishing his good works that he could have done without you. But because, because he loves you as his child, he faithfully rewards you for all eternity as you faithfully walk in his good works. They're not even yours. That's awesome. And that is the love of God. And all that's only possible by God's grace. That's what God is doing. We are the church of God. 
God's will will always be done. His mystery has been proclaimed, and he has lavished on us insight and wisdom to know him, to know his plan, to know his purposes, and to know his will. And he has established his plan. And right now he is hunting and fishing, as Jeremiah 16, 16 says, for all of his people. And he allows us to be part of that, part of his plan for redemption. And he rewards us for our faithfulness to his word. That is awesome. And that is why you're still on this earth. And that is what the church is called to do. God's purposes and his works are out there, and believers are doing his works. So, if you think about it, lack of works and a lack of purpose show a lack of God's working in you, which shows a lack of the Spirit and a lack of actual salvation, which takes us back to you know, James and what James says. If you say you have faith, prove it. Prove it by what you do. Right? Faith without works is dead. Anybody can walk around saying they have faith. In fact, he says demons shudder. When they, when they uh, uh, what is it? Uh, I can't, I'm trying to say the verse off to my head. What is it? Demons believe and they shudder. Yeah, I mean, and you see, you see demons falling down before Christ when he walked on this earth. I mean, demons believe in God. So if you say you believe, whoop de doo right? So does Satan. Probably better than you ever will. All right? But if you have saving faith, saving belief, That'll be proven by your allegiance, your submission to, your obedience, your following him. And Jesus said that over and over and over. You prove your love to me by obeying me, right? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. John, actually, I, here, I, got, I wrote one down instead of ad-libbing it all. John fifteen eight says, My Father is glorified by this. You know what glorifies God? That you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. The bearing of fruit, the doing of works is evidence and proof of the faith that it has been given to you, that you are a child of God. And he says that, he, that you are a disciple, speaking to his disciples. Later, Paul will describe these works in relation to how we interact with everyone. Every relationship we have is supposed to be conducted in a way that gives knowledge of God and glory to his ways. Every word we speak is to be oriented towards bringing people to an understanding and fear of God. That is why we have any relationship whether it be father to son, whether it be son to father, whether it be husband and wife, whether it be boss and employee, whether it be just a friendship, all of those things have been purposely placed before you so that you would uh, give God's word to these people and so that they would believe. And, and, and actually, after Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4 through 6, he, he just kind of begins going through these things, saying you know, how we are to, to act on on, on this, knowing that we are saved by God's grace and we're here to accomplish his work. And one of the things he says in Ephesians 4.29 is this. He says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. That is why you have a mouth. Other than eating, I guess, but, you know, <laughs> we can do IVs now. So your mouth is there to, uh, to, to edify according to the need of the moment, he says, so that it will give grace to those who hear. That is why you speak, and that is what should come out of the lips of his children. That is what we should say. Our words become instruments of God's grace to others. Um, And we take part in the salvation and transformation of sinners when we speak God's word to them. Isn't that cool? You speak God's word, someone gets saved. (laughs) God used your mouth to bring his salvation to someone else, and that was his plan, his purpose, his goodwill. Romans 10, 14 through 17 says this. How, will, uh, how then will they call on him? In other words, how will they believe? How will they call on, on Christ in whom they have not believed? 
I mean, okay, hold on. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This is what we are called to do. We are called to go. We are called to make disciples. We are called to speak the word of God to everyone we see. We are called to let our words always be wholesome, uplifting, edifying, bringing the grace of God to other people as we speak to them, as we interact with them, as we live in a way that glorifies God, as we do his work on this earth. So practically then, how do we accomplish God's good work? How do we know God's good work um, and uh, that we have been created to do? Again, go read the whole book of Ephesians. I mean, we read, what, three verses. It was just this little clip right in the middle. But if you go read the rest of Ephesians, Paul will, will tell you exactly how to accomplish good works, how to accomplish God's work on this earth. No matter where you live, I mean, no matter how, what age, seven years old to 70 years old, employer, employee, husband, wife, whatever relationship you have. But how do we know God's good works uh, that we've been created to do? The only way that you will know, the only way to know God's good work, the only way to know what to do is first to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Without the forgiveness of sin, you are only continually at enmity with God. Apart from being forgiven and being part of the new covenant, you cannot do good works. It doesn't matter what your definition of good is. If good is helping someone cross the street, whoop de doo What matters is what God's definition of good is. And apart from salvation, you cannot do good. You cannot please or worship God. You cannot accomplish any works deemed good. Without his spirit within you, which is another promise of the new covenant, you cannot even discern the word of God or the will or the purpose or the plan or the mind of God. It's only through salvation that you can even be given the spirit of God to be able to discern his word. So repent and believe in Jesus Christ. If you have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, how do you know God's will? How do you know what God's work is? You read the word of God. This is God's word given to us to know his mind and his will and his plans and his purposes. We read the word of God prayerfully and carefully to be able to discern the will of God and to know the mind of Christ. And having read the word, the third step to know what good work, God's good works are is to practice the work of God at all times. You read it, and then you apply it. You read, I think I always say, you read, you know, you apply. Read, know, apply. Read, know, apply. And the more you apply, the more you'll be able to understand. The more you understand, the more you apply. It's the circle of life. Um, so he said, so practice at all times. In all places, in all relationships God has placed you in, practice the things that you read in the Word of God. So what is God's good work for your life? In brief, according to his word in Ephesians, I can tell you God's will for your life. You know, people always look for visions and signs. They, they pray for hours and hours and hours, and they're, you know, just trying to, what is God's will? I'm looking for open doors. I mean, just open the book. You don't have to look for open doors. You just open the book, and he will tell you what his will is in your life. The way to accomplish God's good work, if you just look at Ephesians alone, you live in humility, live in gentleness, live in patience and love with one another. Preserve unity and peace within his church. If you're doing that, you're accomplishing God's good work and you're living according to his will. Edify and equip one another through the word of God for the work of service. Tell the word of God to each person in here and edify one another so that we're all ready and complete. That's what we're doing right now. That's why I'm here right now. God has, by his grace and mercy and, and, and everything else, put, put me here to 
speak his word to you tonight so that all of us will be edified so that we walk out this door and we do his work of service on this earth, sharing the word of God to everyone we meet. But even Christians throughout the week, when you run into Christians, edify. When you run into Christians, admonish. When you run into Christians, encourage one another, equip one another so that we're always complete, ready to do his work of service. Evangelize the lost, edify the saints. I think that's the easiest way to say it. That is what you do at all times. If you're around lost people, you're there to tell them about Christ. If you're around saints, you're there to edify. That's what you're called to do. He also says, put away sinfulness. Put away, uh, put, put away sinfulness, put on holiness. If you're doing that, you are doing the will of God. You, in doing that, are actually sanctifying the church, equipping yourself and, and preparing yourself to do the work of God. Um, we are to, to continually work on being in the likeness of God and Christ. Here's another big one. This is huge. You want to know what God's will is? You want to know how to accomplish God's purposes and his good work? This is one that's hard. Speak the truth always. Being a counselor at a middle school, not only with the kids, the parents too, and knowing my own heart, this is a hard one. We speak some truth and leave out lots of things. We don't necessarily blatantly lie all the time, but how often do we blatantly tell the truth, speak the truth in love? Very rarely. We like to hide. We like to deceive. We like to leave out certain things so it makes us look better. But he says, speak the truth always. Be angry, yet do not sin. Work hard and share what you work for with others. If you are doing that, you are doing the will of God, and you're working for his good works on this earth. Speak only what is edifying, needed, and gracious. Be kind, compassionate, forgiving one another. Again, this is God's good work. Read his word. Learn what is pleasing to the Lord and do it. Paul also says, make the most of every moment in this life. We have to always remind ourselves of this. Remind ourselves of our purpose. It is so easy to be distracted. It is so easy to be lazy. It is so easy just to, to take a break. We must make the most of every opportunity. Every second that you are given is a, an opportunity for eternal reward if we are faithful to do God's work and God's will in our life right now. And on top of that, every opportunity is, is, or every moment is an opportunity to, to be part of God's grace and part of God's work of bringing people into his kingdom. And always give thanks to God for everything. Those are a few examples of how to do God's good work, his good will in this life. But here's where the rubber hits the road. After that, he starts getting down into our personal relationships. How dare Paul? How dare God? That's a personal area, right? I mean, everybody's like, well, that's personal, and you can't, you know, you can't tell me how to be a father or a husband. Well, God does, and tonight I'm going to tell you <laughs> what God says, and this is on me too. You want to know how to do God's will or God's work in your life and the relationships and the positions that God has placed you in? And again, I'm, I'm with you on this. First, wives, subject yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord and respect your husband. If you are doing that, you're walking in God's will. If you are not, you're walking against the will and purposes and plans of God. But husbands, love your wives as yourself and sanctify your wives with the word of God and make sure that she is holy and blameless. Nourish her and cherish her with all of your life. If you are doing that, you are doing the will and work of God and you are accomplishing his good work on this earth. And if you are not, you are walking in sin and you are walking against the will of God in that position that God has placed you in in your life. 
You are there to sanctify your wife. You are there to nourish and cherish her and love her as yourself. Children, not too many of them in here, obey your parents, honor and respect them. That is the will of God, and that is his work in your life at this time. Obey, serve, I mean, I'm sorry, obey, honor, and respect your parents. And parents, parents, you must discipline and instruct your children. One of the things that, that changed the whole way I parent my kids it was when I realized they weren't mine. These are God's children that he wove together and he made and he entrusted me and my wife to take care of. And the one thing that he has told me that I have to do is tell them about him and discipline them when they are straying uh, and doing things that are not his will or his ways. I am called to discipline and instruct my children so that they know him, so that they become children of God. And that's in his hands, but it's my responsibility to do that for them and not provoke them. Employees, employees, you must work hard. You must obey. You must serve and submit to your employers in kindness and love. That is God's will for your life. And employers, you are to be kind and and loving and serve and care for your employees. And in doing so, you are living in a way that that it it, uh, pleases God and you are doing God's good work in your life in that position. Those things get hard. If you look at that and, and you see those commands and you're like, yeah, I got that. What's next? You're in the wrong place. All of us should read that and be like, I need to go home and change. And that's what God does in us when we hear his word. We hear his word. We recognize our shortcomings. We see where we fall short and we repent and we get up and we do it. We apply. We do his good works in this life. And in doing so, you are sanctifying one another. You are equipping and edifying one another, whether it be your wife or whether it be your employee. And you are causing Christians to be equipped and complete, ready to do God's work and God's will on this earth, which is to find all of his children and bring them into his family. All that being said, God is doing all that. Apart from God, you did nothing. Sanctify your wife? What? How are you going to sanctify anybody? It's not you. It's God. God sanctifies, but he's put you there to do the work. Isn't that cool? That is why we still exist on this earth. And the way to know your purpose, the way to know how to do God's good work, is to read his word and apply it in your life. Like I said, tonight, by God's grace, I am bringing you the word of Christ. God's salvation is before you, and your responsibility, first and foremost, is to hear it and believe it, like we read in Ephesians 1. If you hear and believe, you will receive a grace gift of God that will transform you from sinful and separated enemies of God under his eternal wrath to holy, blameless children of God submitting to his every word. If you believe that you will be... uh, uh, That will be evidenced by a continual pursuit to know and practice the will and word of God. And if you work, you will share in the reward of God's plan and purposes and will be rewarded because of your faithfulness. Believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. Follow him with your life. Make your thoughts, your words, your actions, and your goals his. And where there are no works, there is no faith. And where there is no faith, there is no salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Father, everything we we talked about tonight, everything we looked at in your word is, is only possible by your awesome grace. 
Lord, we're thankful for the, the free gifts that you give to us, for our salvation that redeems us from the enslavement of sin, that reconciles us to a holy God, that makes us blameless and holy, that adopts us into your family, that makes us citizens of your kingdom, that exalts us next to your son and, and, and causes us to be heirs of the kingdom of God, to, to rule and to judge and to reign with Christ, to bow down before him, to know him. Father, we thank you for that grace, that gift that you give to us, of which none of us deserve and none of us have earned, and all of us, uh, it's impossible for us to have apart from your grace. And Father, we pray that anyone that does not know you tonight, that does not have faith in you, faith that's exemplified by uh, following and, and by obedience, by uh, the fruits of the Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would be with anyone here that's not your children or your child, that, that they would hear tonight, that they would hear your word, that they would submit to you, they would repent and believe. For all of us in here that are yours, Father, we pray that you help us through your word, through your spirit within us. Help us to, to know your mind and your will and your purposes more and more and more. Help us to put away our sinfulness. Help us to uh, throw away anything that encumbers us from doing your work and your will. Anything that distracts us, Father, we pray that you would reorient our minds so that we see why we are where we are why we have the job we have, why we are in the family that we are in, why we have the friendships that we have, and why we're in this church that you have made. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be focused on our purpose, on your will for us in this life, and help us to accomplish your good works on this earth. Thank you, Father, for rewarding us for our faithfulness. Thank you, Father, for rewarding us by your grace and your goodness. And God, I pray that you would help us to edify and equip and complete one another at all times with our words and our actions and our, our, uh, and our, in this life so that we're all ready and able to do your good will on this earth. And we pray this in your heavenly name. Amen.